0: nether words. Read for you by Charles Logan. A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 2. The Escape of the Dead A sense of delicious dreaminess overcame me. My muscles relaxed and I was on the point of giving way to my desire to sleep when the sound of approaching horses reached my ears. I attempted to spring to my feet, but I was horrified to discover that my muscles refused to respond to my will. I was now thoroughly awake, but as unable to move a muscle as though turned to stone. It was then for the first time that I noticed a slight vapor filling the cave. It was extremely tenuous, and only noticeable against the opening which led to daylight. There also came to my nostrils a faintly pungent odor, and I could only assume that I had been overcome by some poisonous gas. But why I should retain my mental faculties and yet be unable to move, I could not fathom. I lay facing the opening of the cave. And where I could see the short stretch of trail which lay between the cave and the turn of the cliff around which the trail led. The noise of the approaching horses had ceased, and I judged the Indians were creeping stealthily upon me along the little ledge which led to my living tomb. I remember that I hoped they would make short work of me as I did not particularly relish the thought of the innumerable things they might do to me if the spirit, prompted them. I had not long to wait before a stealthy sound apprised me of their nearness, and then a war-bonneted, paint-streaked face was thrust cautiously around the shoulder of the cliff, and savage eyes looked into mine. That he could see me in the dim light of the cave I was sure, for the early morning sun was falling full upon me through the opening. The fellow, instead of approaching merely stood and stared his eyes bulging and his jaw dropped and then another savage face appeared and a third and fourth and fifth craning their necks over the shoulders of their fellows whom they could not pass upon the narrow ledge each face was the picture of awe and fear but for what reason i did not know nor did i learn until 10 years later That there were still other braves behind those who regarded me was apparent from the fact that the leaders passed back whispered words to those behind them. Suddenly, a low but distinct moaning sound issued from the recesses of the cave behind me, and as it reached the ears of the Indians, they turned and fled in terror, panic stricken. So frantic were their efforts to escape from the unseen thing behind me. That one of the braves was hurled headlong from the cliff to the rocks below. Their wild cries echoed in the canyon for a short time, and then all was still once more. The sound which had frightened them was not repeated, but it had been sufficient as it was to start me speculating on the possible horror which lurked in the shadows at my back. Fear is a relative term and so I can only measure my feelings at that time by what I had experienced in previous positions of danger, and by those that I have passed through since. But I can say without shame that if the sensations I endured during the next few minutes were fear, then may God help the coward, for cowardice is of a surety its own punishment. To be held paralyzed with one's back towards some horrible and unknown danger, from the very sound of which the ferocious Apache warriors turn in wild stampede as a flock of sheep would madly flee from a pack of wolves, seems to me the last word in fearsome predicaments for a man who had ever been used to fighting for his life with all the energy of a powerful physique. Several times I thought I heard faint sounds behind me as of somebody moving cautiously. But eventually even these ceased, and I was left to the contemplation of my position without interruption. I could but vaguely conjecture the cause of my paralysis, and my only hope lay in that it might pass off as suddenly as it had fallen upon me. Late in the afternoon, my horse, which had been standing with dragging rain before the cave, started slowly down the trail, evidently in search of food and water, and I was left alone with my mysterious unknown companion and the dead body of my friend, which lay just within my range of vision upon the ledge where I had placed it in the early morning. From then until possibly midnight, all was silence. The silence of the dead. Then, suddenly, the awful moan of the morning broke upon my startled ears, and there came again from the black shadows the sound of a moving thing, and a faint rustling as of dead leaves. The shock to my already overstrained nervous system was terrible in the extreme, and with a superhuman effort I strove to break my awful bonds. It was an effort of the mind, of the will, of the nerves. Not muscular, for I could not move even so much as my little finger, but nonetheless mighty for all that. And then something gave. There was a momentary feeling of nausea, a sharp click as of the snapping of a steel wire. And I stood, with my back against the wall of the cave, facing my unknown foe. And then the moonlight flooded the cave, and there before me lay my own body, as it had been lying all these hours, with the eyes staring toward the open ledge, and the hands resting limply upon the ground. I looked first at my lifeless clay there upon the floor of the cave, and then down at myself, in utter bewilderment, for there I lay clothed and yet here I stood but naked as at the minute of my birth. The transition had been so sudden and so unexpected that it left me for a moment forgetful of aught else than my strange metamorphosis. My first thought was, is this then death? Have I indeed passed over forever into that other life? But I could not well believe this as I could feel my heart pounding against my ribs from the exertion of my efforts to release myself from the anesthesis which had held me. My breath was coming in quick, short gasps. Cold sweat stood out from every pore of my body, and the ancient experiment of pinching revealed the fact that I was anything other than a wraith. Again I was suddenly recalled to my immediate surroundings by a repetition of the weird moan from the depths of the cave. Naked and unarmed as I was, I had no desire to face the unseen thing which menaced me. My revolvers were strapped to my lifeless body, which for some unfathomable reason I could not bring myself to touch. My carbine was in its boot, strapped to my saddle, and as my horse had wandered off I was left without means of defense. My only alternative seemed to lie in flight, and my decision was crystallized by a recurrence of the rustling sound from the thing which now seemed, in the darkness of the cave and to my distorted imagination, to be creeping stealthily upon me. Unable longer to resist the temptation to escape this horrible place, I leapt quickly through the opening into the starlight of a clear Arizona night. The crisp, fresh mountain air outside the cave acted as an immediate tonic, and I felt new life and new courage coursing through me. Pausing upon the brink of the ledge, I upbraided myself for what now seemed to me wholly unwarranted apprehension. I reasoned with myself that I had lain helpless for many hours within the cave, yet nothing had molested me, and my better judgment, when permitted the direction of clear and logical reasoning, convinced me that the noises I had heard must have resulted from purely natural and harmless causes. Probably the conformation of the cave was such that a slight breeze had caused the sounds I heard. I decided to investigate, but first I lifted my head to fill my lungs with the pure, invigorating night air of the mountains. As I did so, I saw stretching far below me the beautiful vista of Rocky Gorge, and level cacti-studded flat, wrought by the moonlight into a miracle of soft splendor and wondrous enchantment. Few western wonders are more inspiring than the beauties of an Arizona moonlit landscape. The silvered mountains in the distance, the strange lights and shadows upon Hogback and Arroyo, and the grotesque details of the stiff yet beautiful cacti, form a picture at once enchanting and inspiring, as though one were catching for the first time a glimpse of some dead and forgotten world, so different is it from the aspect of any other spot upon our earth. As I stood thus meditating, I turned my gaze from the landscape to the heavens, where the myriad stars formed a gorgeous and fitting canopy for the wonders of the earthly scene. My attention was quickly riveted by a large red star close to the distant horizon. As I gazed upon it, I felt a spell of overpowering fascination. It was Mars, the god of war, and for me, the fighting man, it had always held the power of irresistible enchantment. As I gazed at it on that far-gone night, it seemed to call across the unthinkable void to lure me to it, to draw me as the lodestone attracts a particle of iron. My longing was beyond the power of opposition. I closed my eyes, stretched out my arms toward the god of my vocation, and felt myself drawn with the suddenness of thought through the trackless immensity of space. There was an instant of extreme cold and utter darkness.